Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. going to be in Galatians chapter 1 in our Bibles today, Galatians chapter 1. And yes, uh, we are going to look at, uh, kind of sidestep the book of Matthew today and really focus on some church history. What? I don't want to come to church history class. Sorry. Uh, I'm really, so I'll just tell you, um, I mean, from an academic standpoint, I rebelled against school. Um, I didn't like it. Um, I didn't enjoy it. Um, I did okay. I like 3.5 GPA, 3.2, like kind of bounced back and forth between there. Uh, but I just really cheated my way through. I would study the night. I would never retain all the information. I would study the night before, absorb all of it, dump it on the test, and then move on my way. I did all my homework in class. I didn't want to do it when I got home. I just wanted to play and do sports and goof off. And, uh, and socialize. And so I, again, I, I rebelled against a lot of uh, academics. Numbers made sense to me. Uh, the sciences uh, make sense to me. But English, which is crazy that I'm in order now and I have to actually read and study uh, in this form and write, uh, it, it has to be my forte. And it's not what I loved growing up. And uh, history was always super boring to me. I mean, super boring. I don't know if it was the teacher or what, but he's just like, boring. You know, it's like somebody throw a paper at this guy, right? We were those kids. And, uh, and uh, it just wasn't good. And so I didn't absorb very much of it, sadly. But what I am learning more and more is that if we do not know our history and understand at least major points of history, if we forget these things, we end up repeating ourselves. We end up doing the same thing over and over again. And so we will stop once a year here on Halloween, and we will celebrate the reformation of the church. And I hope that it will be enlightening. I hope that it will be like, wow. I hope you'll walk away with me and say, well, I actually hadn't thought about that in a really long time, and I heard words about it, but I didn't fully understand it. I hope I can impart that to you today. I hope it's a treasure. I hope it's a gift, and, uh, and, and it will bless you. The title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is The Counterfeit Church. The Counterfeit Church. Galatians chapter 1. Counterfeit money is a problem in the United States. And the only way to combat counterfeit money is to train people in handling real money all the time so well that they can instantly tell if a bill is counterfeit or a machine catching it after, before a machine can catch it after hours. And so what they'll do is uh, somebody will be counting money and after they have been trained in handling and looking at money over and over and over, they just handle the real stuff all the time. If they do this for a year, they, they then, when, it, when a counterfeit comes across, they can instantly identify. You and I can't because our eyes aren't trained, our hands aren't trained. We can't tell the feel or the look of the paper, but they can and they can catch it so quickly. The same is true with the counterfeit church. Preachers or religion in general, we can handle the word of God so much so, this right here, handle it so much, going through our fingertips so much, we know the scripture so well, we are able to detect a counterfeit quickly. And something's not right there. Something, something is not working. I can't put my finger on it, but it doesn't feel right. 
We go back to the Word of God. One of the greatest counterfeits of Christianity happened actually 500 years ago, and a lot of it still continues on to this day. And I want to speak with a form of sensitivity as well, as this may be some background, uh, some of our backgrounds here today. But this happened a long time ago. This is back when the Roman Catholic Church was actually ruling as a governing authority in, in uh, Europe. And they, it was widespread and overtaking, and what they said went. And when you look at their teachings... And what they were posing, they were posing that they were only true church on the planet. When you look at their teachings and how they were taking advantage of people on that day, using Jesus and the Bible for power, we see they were a counterfeit form of what Christ ultimately wanted for the church. And a lot of it still is happening to this day not just in the Roman Catholic Church, but also in many churches, in many religions, using religion, using opportunities to rule and, and have authority and govern and, and really to force things on people that are not true, that actually don't even exist in the Bible. The word counterfeit means made an exact imitation of something valuable or important with the intention to deceive or defraud. I mean, the sneakiest thing the enemy could do is make a copy of the church and then sell it to everybody. But it's not the real deal. It's so close to the real deal. It looks and feels like the real deal. Jesus is everywhere in that thing. How is it not the real deal? Before we dive into this, again, I want to be sensitive to those raised in the culture the Catholic Church or other religions. I know many people in these movements can be very loving and genuine people. I do believe there are many in the church who are saved, maybe true believers, and know a lot of what is happening in there is wrong. But the hierarchy and the leadership have no excuse. They know the teachings, they know the doctrine. They know what they are doing, and they know people are being taken advantage of. And it's not okay to turn a blind eye or deaf ear to these things. They'll stand before God for these things. This is what I want to talk about today. It doesn't matter what religion. doesn't matter what movement. If people are taking advantage of people from a religious standpoint in order to manipulate and dictate and move an authority, working people over, God is not okay with these things. You guys hear me preach about this in regards to the prosperity gospel or televangelists, you know, trying to work people over for money. There was a form of this happening 500 years ago, right here in church history. We're going to read uh, verses 1 to 10 here in Galatians chapter 1. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? This is a great little deposit in your bank account, I hope. I hope it's a blessing for you, okay? Allow me to deposit a bag of gold into your bank account. This goes not only for me, but for all churches and all movements throughout history. And the Apostle Paul talked about it 2,000 years ago because it was happening in his day too. Take a look what he says in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, 
to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, verse 6, writing to this church in Galatia, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him, him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For I am, not, I am, now, seeking, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for these truths. Lord, we need them in this day and age because sadly we do see those on the earth still trying to preach another message for their own profit, for their own gain, other than the one that you have placed. And we, we trust your word. It is, it is both incalculably complex its depths go further than the ocean but it is very simple and easy even for a child to understand we thank you for the complexity of your word and the wisdom in it and we would ask lord that you would help us not to distort it or move it in any other direction but to leave it right where it's at and let it work on our hearts and minds let it permeate our city our churches once again Bless our time in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The text here Paul is speaking about to the church in Galatia is he is warning them. He says, hey guys, remember the simple gospel of Jesus? That we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God? That, that he has sent his son Jesus into the world to save us from our sins through his death, burial, and resurrection? And that Christ himself has communicated to us that a, the way to attain salvation is by simply believing. No, no other works. Nothing else attached. You don't have to door knock for three years in order to get to heaven. You don't have to bow five times a day to pray for the rest of your life to get to heaven. No. You don't have to help a hundred old ladies across the street to get to heaven. You simply need to believe that Jesus has done all of the work for you already. That he has paid for your sins. And he's done all the work to get to heaven. And then he says, here, I want to give it to you for free. And we say, why, Lord? He says, because I love you. That's it. You want to know why I do things for my little daughter, Eden? My little boy, Shep? Because I love them. For no other reason. I love them because I love them because I love them because I love them. And I want to give everything for them. Our Lord Jesus has given everything for us. This is a simple message of the gospel. And because he has done this for me and given me the gift of heaven, I gladly give everything back to him. Lord, whatever you want, I give you my life. I want to walk with you. This is not a have to. I'm not working my way to heaven. I've already attained it through you by simply believing. This is the simple message of the gospel, and it is never to be distorted, ever. But through the centuries, sadly, 
People want to take the words of Christ. They want to build a man-made religion around it and add all of these extra things that you have to do. The biggest sin of the Roman Catholic Church 500 years ago as they were doing this, it's called an indulgence. If you pay this much money, we will give you salvation. You can pay money to get into heaven. I know, Serge, it's crazy. <laughs> Line them up. Uh, for you, sir, would you like a quote on how to get to heaven? Come into my office. Well, let's look at your finances. Wow, I see you make a little bit extra, but you got a lot of extra sins, so we're going to quote you at just a million, okay? How about that? This is crazy. This is crazy. Then they started to allow people to pay indulgences to pay for their dead loved ones. Let's go rake in the cash. Where does it say that in the Bible? Oh, wait, you made that up. This is what I want to talk about you, with you today. It is very important we understand these things. Paul says, even if I preach another gospel than the one you receive, let even me be a curse. And I say to you today again, if I preach a gospel other than the one that has been delivered to you and to me, let me be accursed. Let me be accountable for that. If you're here in Studio City for the next 10 years, celebrate with us, worship with us, enjoy legacy. If you move on to another city or you're on your way to another place, please find a church that teaches the word of God and will simply tell you the truth. It's one of the greatest gifts I can give you, please. Today on October 31st, 504 years ago, 504 years ago, the Protestant Reformation took place. Let's talk a little church history. It's important. History is important. Most of the time we think boring dates and places and names, but, why is, but it is important to remember the Holocaust, genocides, wars, freedom of slavery. All of these things are important. They remind us of where we have come from and not to go back there. Most Christians' understanding of church history is Billy Graham. Right? Hey, I love Billy Graham. This is great. But I mean, it's like, can you tell me a little bit about church history? I remember this guy, Billy Graham, like 50 years ago. He did this great thing. I know. But what about like 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 300 years ago or 400 years ago or 500 years ago? Do you know that Jesus and the Holy Spirit has been moving in churches for 2,000 years? Think about all the church plants, little churches like us, over 2,000 years. All the preachers and pastors, think about all the men and women who have actually died carrying the gospel and the Bible in English, which we hold today to you and I. How did it get here? It was not an easy path. It was not easy at all. It's easy for us. We show up in nice chairs and we can turn the heaters on, turn the air conditioning on if we want to. We just speak freely right here, even in the city of Los Angeles. Nobody will be arresting me today for preaching the gospel. But for centuries, it has taken place. October 31st, 1517 was the day when a man by the name of Martin Luther started a revolt against the Catholic Church and their teachings. Many believe Luther didn't have any idea of what he was starting. Like a single match being lit to start a giant forest fire, he had no idea the impact it would have. 
If you would like to read up on more church history, a very simple four-set volume, it's 2,000 years of Christ's power. Again, 2,000 years of Christ's power. It's by Nicholas Needham. I discovered these in a church history class I took. Fantastic. Simple to read, easy to understand. It take a long time to get through, but you could digest it over five years if you wanted to, just a little bit at a time, just soaking in all of the beautiful things that Christ has done through his church over 2,000 years. I want to play a video that well illustrates Martin Luther's mission and the reformation of the church, a nice five-minute visual that will bring you up to speed very quickly. Are you good? Okay. 500 years ago, on October 31st, 1517, a German Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther posted some complaints he had about the Catholic Church on a church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Luther was upset by the church practice of selling what were known as indulgences to wealthy patrons. Indulgences might be loosely described as get-out-of-hell-free cards. Pay this amount to the church and the church would make sure you don't suffer unduly for your sins in the hereafter. Luther felt very strongly that the practice not only made the church look bad in the eyes of the common people, but had no scriptural basis. He believed the church needed to reform itself or would lose its legitimacy. Nobody, including Luther, thought that his complaints, and he had made a list of 95 of them, would amount to much. He simply wanted to spark a discussion on an issue that deeply concerned him. Instead, he set off a chain reaction that literally changed the course of history. The name we give to this change is the Protestant Reformation. Had Luther limited his criticism of the church to indulgences as his friend, the Dutch scholar Erasmus, urged him to do, the matter might have been resolved and the old order preserved. But the headstrong Luther was not someone to be restrained. Luther was what we would call today a flawed individual. He was brilliant and charismatic, but he was also vindictive and stubborn to a fault and at the end of his life, sadly, anti-Semitic. Luther believed there should be no separation between the Bible and the believer. Every individual should have access to the Word of God, Luther contended, as any priest did, or even the Pope. We take this view for granted now, but in the 16th century, it was a radical concept. And here's why. For more than a thousand years, the Church had been the dominant religious and political authority in Europe. It alone taught Christians how to understand the Bible. Luther was now challenging the very basis of this authority. Not surprisingly, the church didn't take it well. What began as a squabble between a bold monk and the Catholic hierarchy soon developed into a titanic and bloody struggle that split Europe into opposing religious factions. But the consequences of Luther's ideas extended far beyond a religious dispute. It's not an exaggeration to say that as a result of Luther's ideas, the modern individual was born, a free actor, endowed with God-given rights that exist independent of government or any other institution. Each person could find those rights by reading and interpreting the Bible for himself. Of course, to do that, you had to be able to read the Bible, and throughout the first millennium right up until Luther's day, only a very few people could. Books, including the Bible, were all handwritten, a process usually that took months. This made books rare and expensive. Furthermore, most Bibles were written in Latin, the language of the church, 
a language familiar only to the clergy and educated elite. This exclusivity was one of the many ways in which the Church maintained its power. Luther answered this problem by translating the Bible into everyday German so that anyone could read it. But his efforts would all have been for naught except for the recent invention of the printing press by a fellow German, Johannes Gutenberg. The printing press allowed for the first time in history books and soon thereafter pamphlets and newspapers to be widely distributed. Without the printing press, Luther would have likely suffered the same grim fate of other reformers before him, like Jan Hus, who was tried, convicted of heresy, and burned at the stake. But because of the printing press, Luther's movement could not be stopped, and indeed could not be controlled. Bloody religious wars between Catholic and Protestant forces quickly followed on the heels of Luther's new ideas. They lasted for 200 years and cost countless lives. The Thirty Years' War alone from 1618 to 1648 is reputed to have led to about 8 million deaths from fighting, famine, and disease. But out of all this carnage, many positive changes came too. The Protestant empowerment of the individual led to capitalism and the Enlightenment, just to name two byproducts of Luther's protest. The American Revolution, with its idea that individuals endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights should be free to form their own government, was another. Of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, all but one was a Protestant. Pronouncing a verdict on an epoch as significant as the Reformation is very difficult. Perhaps it's best not even to try. But we can say this. No other single figure made more of an impact on the modern world than the German monk, Martin Luther. And even he would be surprised to know that. I'm Stephen Cornelius of Wartburg Theological Seminary for Prager University. Amazing that it could have so much impact even on the modern world today. Amazing to think that because he stood up to the Roman Catholic Church, who was also the government, we have freedoms today and an English Bible in our hands. We are not reading the Latin and or we don't, we are not allowing the priest to tell us what the Latin says. We can read it ourselves. Can you imagine if you couldn't even read your own Bible and they, someone was interpreting for you exactly what it says. You now have an English Bible. You have your own copy. You can study as deep as you want. You could have 10 copies if you want in this day and age. In America, we are in a place where we can worship freely. We are not anymore, we, we are not anywhere close to perfect or a good nation. We are broken like all nations. But the reason the whole world wants to live here and immigrate into this country is because of our freedom to worship, build, and create. People want to come here because they want to worship freely. They don't want anybody to bother them. They want to build whatever they want to build. I want to build this. Let me build it. Say, okay. And they want to create whatever they want to create. And this is a place you are actually able to do that. These rights, according to our Constitution, come from God and not from man or any government. Did you know that? The reason our country functions this way and the rest of the world does not is because our Constitution, it is written in the Constitution that these rights come from who? God. And not from man, not from people voting. Nope. They come from God. 
And I'll read it to you in just a second because I want you to see it for yourself. How have we forgotten this? According to Mr. Thomas Jefferson, it is self, a self-evident truth, he said, a sacred, undeniable truth, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You get these rights from God. Thomas Jefferson, the Declaration of Independence has three parts. There's a preamble, which later became the most famous part of the document, but at the, at the time was largely ignored. It has a second part, our Declaration of Independence, that lists the sins of the kings of Great Britain. And it has a third part that declares independence from Britain and that all political connections between the British crown and the, and the free independent states of America should be totally dissolved. No connection. We are free. The preamble to the Declaration of Independence contains the entire theory of American government in a single inspiring passage. Are you ready? Strap on your seatbelts. Come on. You're in, you live in America, do you not? You should know this. This is why you get to do whatever you want to do in America. Here it is. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Declaration of Independence. That all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, not by the people or the government, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall be seen most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Basically, it says you have these rights from God, and if a government ever tries to take them away, you abolish that government. It says it in our documents. They are, we are endowed by our Creator. And everybody gets these rights who is human. Praise God. And if any human tries to tell me that it is different from what God has said, then they are now in the wrong. I'm going to say one thing with all that's going on in our world. Come on, strap on the full harness seatbelt, okay, for just a second. Don't get mad at me, please. Can I just say one thing, please? With all that's going on in our world today, in America and in Los Angeles right now, this week, especially this week, it doesn't matter what side of the coin you are on in all of these debates and arguments. You never want to allow a government to mandate or force something on all people. Thank you. I, I don't do it for the applause. I really want to just say some clear stuff to you guys, okay? It doesn't matter how safe anything is said that it is. It doesn't matter what it is. Once a government is able to mandate something on all people regardless of medical issues, stage of life, religious or non-religious belief, doesn't matter if you're religious, when they can force something on all people, we are in big trouble. 
because they acquire the right to continue to do this in the name of safety indefinitely. Point in case, the TSA. This was supposed to be a measure put into place 9-11, by 9-11 20 years ago. In the name of safety, we are still doing the TSA today. How is this possible? We don't have better measures after 20 years. We, still, we have iPhones on our wrists now. We have self-driving cars, but we can't fix the TSA system at the airports. This is bizarre to me. Once the government puts things in place, they never take it away. I'm just telling you, this is what happens. This is history. This is the first of 20 years of forced mandates. What will they force over the next 20 years? This is what you have to ask yourself. Unless the people say no thanks. Let everyone have the freedom to decide what is best for their family and for themselves. Do you want me deciding what is best for your family? You're like, no way. Then you do not determine what is best for my family. Everyone can determine what is best for their family and for themselves. If we do not have this in place, this is when we, we start to lose liberty and freedom. This alone is enough proof that we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life. You get it. It's a gift to you. You get liberty. It's a gift to you. Freedom. And the pursuit of happiness for your life. That's a gift to you. And no government or religious organization, nobody gets to take that away. Liberty and justice for all. We used to say in the Pledge of Allegiance, Liberty is slowly being taken away, and we must stand against it. Speak up. Let people know this is wrong. Don't be a jerk. Don't be mean. Love people. Serve them. And just say, we should slow down. This is dangerous. What, I want to know what the next five mandates are. You tell me what they are up front, and then we'll talk about it. Tell me what you will never mandate. Tell me what you will never make happen, and then maybe we'll discuss Sadly, right now in Australia, this is October 27th, thousands of Australians have unpaid fines for breaking COVID rules and have their homes, are having their homes seized. Their bank accounts are being raided and licenses are being canceled as the government chases $5.2 million of their own people. This is happening right now in Australia. How can this even be possible? It's because they're not leaving their homes at right times. They're not walking around with their paperwork. They're out on the streets after curfew. There's all kinds of things going on. It's very sad. It is slowly creeping into our culture, and I personally am alarmed. Okay? I really am. I'm not scared. I'm not anxious, but I am alarmed by it. I kind of just like, what are we doing? I have friends who work in the hospital through COVID here in L.A., who are being fired from UCLA. Just last, last week, they got fired and escorted out by Belize in UCLA. And lo and behold, he actually had the vaccine. And they still escorted him out because he wouldn't show his private documentation to them. He says, don't I have right to privacy, my own medical records? I've been here for seven, 10 years working in this institution. I've helped all these people. He's a fantastic citizen. He loves the Lord. He loves people. LA is trying to fire the fire department, 
my buddies who have worked here in the apartment for 10 to 20 years, trying to fire them for not complying to the mandate. It is not a law, very important, it is a mandate, and there is a major difference. This has not gone through Congress. This is under emergency order, and it is a mandate. It is not a law. That is why no one has been arrested. No one. It's not a law. L.A. Sheriff has said publicly that it is not science and we will not enforce this. L.A. Fire, there are 1,600 firefighters saying no to the mandate. There are 40 to 50% of LAPD, sheriffs, emergency paramedic workers are all saying no. How can so many medical experts all be saying no? They're not anti-vaxxers, they're just saying no to a mandate. They know this is not right encroaching on freedom. To give you a breath of fresh air, majority of the country is not enforcing this. LA is trying to lead the charge. I've been in six different states in the last month and none of this stuff exists in the other states. Only here, I'm telling you. It's only here. But it's okay, because we understand our culture, we love our culture, we serve our culture. I'm in it too. And I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna become a jerk. I'm not gonna be mean. I'm just gonna keep loving and serving people with a smile, and I want to have real articulate discussions with them. Let's sit down and reason. I want to talk. Come let us reason together. Let's talk about this. One more thing and we'll move on, okay? Freedom and liberty, justice for all is being taken away right before our eyes in the name of safety. Benjamin Franklin, yes, the American printer and publisher, author, inventor, scientist, and diplomat. Benjamin Franklin, Ben Franklin, one of the foremost of the American Founding Fathers said, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. If you give up liberty for safety because it sounds good up front, well, yeah, we got to put TSA in. Dude, there's like terrorists blowing up planes everywhere. You will give it up long term and you will never get it back. It's the same thing with the budgets. We grow budgets here in Los Angeles and California. We grow them out to hundreds of millions of dollars. We don't exactly solve the problems, but guess what? The budgets never go down. We just keep building and keep spending. Governments are flawed, people are flawed, I am flawed, okay? And that's why we do not give that much power over at any government or religious organization. These rights are given to us by God alone. And the same power that was distributed back to the people which we have today, the reason America is still so free today, we really are, is because of the Constitution that was formed by these founding fathers. These freedoms come from God and His Word. And Martin Luther, 500 years ago, saw it as well. When the Roman Catholic Church had taken away the rights and the abilities of the people to live and worship freely, taken their money, they're taking their freedoms, he gave the power back to the people, challenging the Roman Catholic government, and started a revolution, a reformation. And that is how we are here today, preaching in Studio City freely. The word Protestant means protest. He literally protested the Roman Catholic Church and the government by himself. He was a monk in there. He was a priest. He was one of them. He studied all their literature, and he's like, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Guys, guys, get over here. 
doesn't it say that salvation is a free gift of God? What are you doing? You can't save that. What are you doing? You want to get paid this week? He said, guys, we can't be doing this. This is wrong. Listen to some of the details of Martin Luther. Luther proposed an academic discussion, the practice of indulgences in his 95 theses. 1517 to the Catholic Church. He wrote 95 problems down and nailed it to the church door. It's hilarious. He wanted to debate and talk about it like good monks and priests do. But they didn't want to talk. They didn't want him. They just wanted him to renounce it. Just get out of here. Stop that. You're messing everything up. When Luther arrived in Worms, that's a place, as part of a triumphal procession, the emperor and the church officials expected him to recant his 95 theses. And so there he is standing in front of the church leadership. The Roman Catholic Church is standing right there. The heads of the church. Luther's books that he had written against the church were placed on a table in front of him and he was asked if they were his works and whether he wanted to recant any of the information. Luther then requested some time to think it over and the next day he showed up with his answer in a well-known speech. He shows up in front of the Roman Catholic Church. This is, again, the big dogs of the church. And he said, okay, what do you want to do about all these books, man? You're, you're causing a lot of problems. And he says this, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and the councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. He says, here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. This guy is a beast. He stands before the mafia of all mafias and just says, I'm not recanting anything. They had all the power, all the money, all the authority. They could do whatever they want to him. And he just says, sorry, I'm not backing down. He drops a truth bomb on them. His refusal to renounce all of his writings at the demand of Pope Leo X in 1520 and in 1521 before the Holy Emperor uh, Charles V resulted in his excommunication by the Pope and condemnation as an outlaw by the Emperor. He was an outlaw now for this. What was Luther teaching? You want to hear? Luther taught that salvation and eternal life are not earned by good deeds, but are received only as a free gift of God's grace through the believer's faith in Jesus Christ as redeemer from sin. You're like, this dude's an outlaw. <laughs> Why? Didn't you hear him? He said salvation is free and that God gives it out freely to people. Kill him. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. You know, he's also teaching his theology, also challenged the authority and office of the Pope. He taught that the Bible is the only source of divinely revealed knowledge from God and opposed the office of priest by considering all baptized Christians to be the holy priesthood. He says there is no such thing as priests in the Bible. You guys made this up. The holy priesthood is the Christians. You are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, 
Peter called the church. You are the priest. You are the priestesses. Yes, you are. Me? Call me Priest Joshua. I like Father Joshua better, though. The beard and the, the, the you know, no hair and all this is coming in nice, huh? I just need a little robe and a little cross here. We could pull this off. Sorry, it's bad. But what you need to know is that the priest, the, the, this, this barrier of priesthood and hierarchy is not found in the Bible. The priests are the, the people of God. You are the priests. That's what the Bible says. Of course, this goes in the face of the authority of the Pope. He challenged the priesthood saying, you are not the priests of the earth. All believers in Jesus are. Luther also challenged the Catholic claim of apostolic succession. What's that? This doctrine says that the line of Roman Catholic popes extends through the centuries all the way from the Apostle Peter to the current pope. This unbroken chain of authority makes the Roman Catholic Church the only true church, they say. Gives the pope preeminence over all churches everywhere. But we know that Peter was not the pope. He is not the head of the church. Who is the head of the church? The Lord Jesus is the head of the church. We know this. We know this. The Lord Jesus is the head of the church. No man has ever been the head of the church. Luther also taught against the Roman Catholic's belief in apostolic succession and the infallibility of the Pope when he speaks ex cathedra. Catholics place church teaching and tradition on the same level equal to Scripture itself. When the Pope speaks, they're believing that when he speaks, it's actually Scripture still to this day. Yeah, no I know, I know. I'm just telling you that there is no human being on the planet who can speak scripture to this day and has not been doing it for a thousand years. The final high priest, if there was any, is the Lord Jesus. But you can see what happens if you put yourself in that position. If I slowly start to work my way into being the head of the church and then get a bunch of churches, and now I'm the head, now we've got thousands of churches, then you, I mean, anybody been to the Vatican? I've been, I've been a couple times. Wild, man. You know how they got all that stuff? They pillaged, they ran, pillaged and sacked hundreds, if not thousands of villages and nations to get all of that stuff. They're the richest organization in the world, no doubt, why are there so many people starving? Why don't you go dig wells? Why don't you just get beans and rice to everybody who needs them? It's a great source of protein. It really genuinely is. What are we doing with all this stuff? Doesn't make sense. It's rare to find people with Bibles at a Catholic service, sadly, they call mass. No one knows their Bible. They just listen to whatever the priest says. And so they follow whatever is being said through the traditions of man. I remember going to Catholic Mass uh, in high school with my buddies. And uh, maybe it was right after high school. I remember going and I brought my Bible. And I walked in with my Bible and I sat down. He's looking at me like, what are you doing with that here? I'm like, what? I'm the only person in the whole place with my Bible. Then he says, you, you can't take uh, communion. I'm like, Why? No, no, you haven't gone through First Communion. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean, dude? I'm a believer. I, I, I know the text. Jesus says that I can take communion. 
I'm a believer in him. I follow him with all my heart. Why can't I take communion? So when I walked up to partake of communion, because they do at the end of the service, I didn't know what to do, you know, so I'm like, I'm like, you know, my buddy's like standing there trying to stop me from partaking communion. I'm like, okay. I should add that I've met some fantastic people in the Catholic Church. I mean people who love God and love his word and love the Lord Jesus and have laid down their lives for him. Martin Luther was one of them, right? And they come to discover like something's not right in the, in the hierarchy. Something is not right here. One of the greatest missions that Luther did was translating the New Testament Bible from Latin to the German basic language in just 10 weeks. He did it in 10 weeks, and he took the complex language of Latin and brought it into the simple language of the average blue-collar farmer worker in town. Here you go. Here's a copy of the Bible. What? I thought that was like a holy thing that only the priests had. He says, I want to give you your own copy. Magically, by the will of God, you know what happened? Not too far after, well, actually before that, I should say, about uh, almost 100 years prior, a thing called the printing press had just came out. And so just as the printing press came out, Martin Luther came on the scene and was born, and then he would grow up and discover these things. He would do his 95 Thesis. He would, do, he would translate the Bible, and they didn't have, you would normally have to write out every single Bible, but the printing press came, and then they were able to stamp Bibles out and stamp out the 95 Thesis and send this thing out like wildfire. And the miracle is the printing press, the technology. And while technology is burning a lot of things down, I praise God for a lot of the technologies we have today because the gospel is being spread to the ends of the earth. And as much as governments and authorities try to hide things and try to stop things from happening, it is growing far faster than they could ever imagine. And the truth will come out. The truth will come out. You cannot hide it. They tried to hide it in Roman days as well, and obviously much has happened. Did you know that Luther's hymns, yes, songwriter, singer-songwriter he was, influenced the development of singing in the Protestant church. Yes, he was radical, you know, he, he, he got them singing hymns, and he got them singing like never before, in a different way, in a different form. He was bringing the electric guitars into the uh, <laughs> temples. What are you doing? What do you mean? It's in the Psalms. Don't you see all the instruments there? Haven't you read it? David was doing this thousands of years ago. Why aren't we doing this? His marriage to Catherine von Bora, former nun, set a model as well for the practice of clerical marriage, allowing Protestant clergy to marry. All of the priests in the Catholic Church could not marry. Martin Luther says, where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't. Why are we doing this to these men and causing all these problems with them? And of course, they end up indulging according to their sinful nature into all kinds of crazy things. What do you expect? How could you do this? How could you put something into place that the Bible doesn't even say? 
Instead, it says when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. And it's not good for man to be alone, it says. And so he blew that one open. The way that he did it is he went to the nun house and married one of the nuns. <laughs> this guy was a beast. What a rebel, huh? Who'd have known this monk? He's hilarious. The Catholic Church sadly killed anyone and everyone who tried to stand against them in their teachings. They put it in a context, if I was preaching this sermon right now, 500 years ago, I would be wanted, wanted dead by the church for preaching against it, for preaching exactly what God's word says. That's what's sad. I want to close and I want to give you the five solas. I'm going to give you these five points, and they will go very quickly, but I would love for you to write them down or remember them. Or you can come back to the sermon and write them down. You can type in five solas on Google, and they'll pop up for you as well. But the reformers came together and settled on five doctrinal truths, and these truths answer these very important questions that were being abused by the Catholic Church. How is a person saved? Where does religious authority lie? What is the church? What is the essence of Christian living and this is what they came up with. In answering these questions, Protestant reformers developed what we known as the five solas. Sola being a Latin word for alone. Sola, alone. It just means the word alone. These five essential points of biblical doctrine clearly separate Protestantism from Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church. I want you to know them so it never happens again. You can identify a counterfeit quickly if you know the truth, okay? The five solas. Number one, scripture alone. Sola scriptura. Scripture alone. The Bible alone is our highest authority. Okay? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Number two, Sola fide, faith alone. Scripture alone, then faith alone. We are saved through faith alone in Christ Jesus. Simple, I know. It's revolutionary. Not by any works or deeds, nothing. Romans 4, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as a due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. If you do work, you got to get paid. If you believe by faith, the due is given to you through righteousness by simply believing. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Number three is soli gratia. Sola gratia, this is grace alone. Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. God's grace is everything for the Christian. By grace alone, God chose his people before creation. By grace alone, Christ chose to die for his people. By grace alone, God causes his people to be born again so they are new creations. And our deeds earn us death. But we have been saved by the grace of God alone. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Grace alone. I haven't done anything to receive it. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But the grace by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. 
Number four, solus Christus, Christ alone. Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and King. Acts 4.12, if anyone is saved, it is on the basis of Christ alone. There is salvation in no one else. God gives no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. No one else can save you. Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will get to God except through me. What? Jesus, you can't say stuff like that. Why not? He says, after all, he is the Lord. He is the one. C.S. Lewis said about him, he said he's either a lunatic by saying that and a liar, or he was really telling the truth. He'd be a crazy man to say that. You can't just walk around saying, I am the only way to God. No one will get to God except through me. Jesus actually said this. And so not any priest, not any pope, not anybody else on the planet can bring you to God and Christ alone. And finally, number five, soli deo gloria. To the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. We live for the glory of God alone. Tigers exist. Butterflies exist. Mountains exist. Forests exist. Music exists. Humans exist. The solas exist. Everything exists for the glory of God. All rivers that lead to this ocean. All creatures will bow and pay homage to their king. Everyone, everything, all points back to him alone. Romans 11.33, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Nobody. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Great Paul Washer said, anything not built on the word of God is a house of cards. And I'm telling you, we have to get back once again to the word of God. Churches, America, really, we as believers, anchor in it. This is our gift. Little church history lesson for us today. I hope it blesses you. I hope it helps you. I hope it encourages you. I hope it doesn't get you down. I really genuinely want it to strengthen your foundation. It's like putting rebar and then putting cement down, you know, like in the base of your house. I'm trying to give you the keys, the gold. This is, here you go. There are so many people in our city and a lot of people that I talk to who are trying to build up new morality, new ways of living, new ways of thinking, new way, new, all of these things. For thousands of years, we always come back to this timeless truth that seems to just work its way through every single movement, every single new cultural thing. And I'm telling you, if you want to be anchored, if you want to stay and be able to see through all of the fog, anchor in God's word. Amen? Let's all stand up. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray, please, that you would continue to guide our hearts and minds. Lord, as we remember church history, as we remember how difficult of a road it has been for so many believers for us to get to this place, 
Martin Luther himself didn't even know the impact that he would make after he, his death. That it would go on to revolutionize the world. We thank you that we have your word, that we can read it. We thank you that our founding fathers had your word and they could read it. We thank you that they built this nation upon this truth. That all that we have been given, all of our freedom, all of our liberty, all of our pursuit of happiness has been endowed and given to us by you. And no one should ever take that away from anyone else. I pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom. Give us guidance for our own lives and for our own families. Help us to make the best decision for ourselves. You know what's best. You know what each of us need. I pray, Lord, most importantly, above all, that we would attain a relationship with you by simply believing on the work that you've done, by simply coming into close relationship with you, confessing our sin, being honest about where we're at, and calling upon you to save us, believing in your death, burial, and resurrection, turning away from a life, running from you, and turning to you with all of our hearts. We do that in Jesus' name. We do that with the purest faith that we have, Lord. We just ask that you would save, that you would restore, that you would renew, and that you would give us peace. Carry us through this season. Work in our hearts. We offer you our lives. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.